point. I'm Steph. I'm Rob. I'm Deke. On our last Q&A, we learned lots of awesome things. But we have more questions to answer, so why don't we, let's turn to the Wheel of Morality. Let's. Let's dive right in. This comes from Michael L. Marcus. Michael L. Marcus wants to know, what was your breakout moment as a professional arranger? I'll give mine, and it's probably one that people wouldn't expects it probably think yeah, it's it. you know a movie thing or TV or whatever for me it was actually when I became music director of the Tufts Beelzebubs I was really focused on trying to do something different and special and make our group the best and I was experimenting with vocal instrumental sounds and different kinds of textures and a lot of rhythm and doing the kinds of songs that didn't work acapella because they weren't already acapella like the longest time or whatever and what happened is first I noticed that other acapella groups were copying my arrangements. Rude. Not quite exactly right. Like someone had recorded it in the back of a hall and then kind of tried to transcribe it, but kind of made it a little bit different. But it was like way, 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 way obvious. They had, you know, 95% copied my arrangement. And then that year, 1989, I started getting phone calls out of the blue from other acapella groups asking me to arrange for them. Mm. And so for the next couple of years, I arranged for other groups. And of course, I started costing my dorm room and blah, blah, blah. And by the time I graduated and was moving back to home in San Francisco, I already was making a full-time career out of arranging. Like I was able to support myself on that. And then starting the House Jackson, doing all the other stuff was was basically gravy. So that would be my breakout. And mm. it landed in my lap. Like I was just doing it because I wanted us to be great. But the beautiful thing is it ended up allowing me to focus entirely 100% on acapella, both, both nonprofit and uh, the various projects I was doing. Seems like imitation is both the sincerest form of flattery and also what helps you pay those exorbitant Tufts bills. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, my breakout moment was the original album that I did in high school. That was probably the thing that I put out that got people to really notice what I was doing. Because I before that, I had, yeah. with my high school group, I had put out an album and it was, you know, it was good. It was good mostly because it just, we used the technology of the time better than most high school groups were doing at the time. The arranging was pretty good. I don't think any of my like arrangements on that album were like super head turning. But when we did the originals album after that, uh, which was the first all original high school album, that yep. was I feel like that I was the first well. time. I think that was really the thing that put me on a lot of people's radars because the thing that I did on that album that uh, that I really enjoyed doing that I think was cool was like I I mixed up a lot of my influences. Like I I took a lot of different influences that I had at the time and kind of made this really weird goulash out of them and i remember there was a review on rarb that was talking about how like like oh i hear you know this influence in here and this influence in here and i was like yeah that's right it was a real moment for me of like taking all the things that really inspired me and combining them in a way that made something really new doing that i think really got a lot of attention and the fact that it was all original music it was a cool process of like being really derivative to create something that was really my own and I think that like that process is a pretty common one for a lot of people that are looking for their breakout as an arranger or artist is like, you know, figuring out the right balance of originality and all derivativeness. Art. All art, any form, theater, yeah. visual arts, everything. You, you draw from influences of the people who came before you and the ones that, inf you know, and then yeah. you combine it in your own way and you put yourself into it. I mean, that's that's all any of us can do. Yeah, but I feel like that was really my, my quote unquote breakout moment with that. And then, you know, because that, that put me on a lot of radars. 
And I think that in, in a lot of ways that led to me being in positions where I then got to do the, you know, the higher profile TV work and stuff like that. But it was, it was taking those big swings when I was younger in that way that I think yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, was sort of the breakout. Next question from Danny Rasici. What was the most complex arrangement you have arranged? And then also wants to know if you have a thought about the most complex arrangement that someone else has arranged there's sort of two ways to answer this and it depends on what you consider complex, complex. right, right. it's like are you talking about complex in terms of parts because then the answer is i did a studio only version of sky full of stars for one voice stars. yeah that was that was uh, that was hmm. the one I, that was like 50 parts or whatever it was like it was a lot in studio i've done stuff that's way more that's probably the most i've ever done that was ever performed live that one wasn't written to be performed live but then it ultimately was by when we did it in uh, the florida the betsy sure. acapella festival that's the most complex part wise thing i've ever done the most complex you know, harmonically challenging wise? That's sort of a different question. I don't know. What do you think, Deke? Well, I- I'm old, so my memory is <laughs> short and limited only to the recent past. But I'd say I, I keep kind of you know, upping, upping, upping. Uh, the most recent stuff that comes to mind are a couple of arrangements I've done for Decapella, one of which was the theme song to The Glory Days, which is the uh, the Incredibles song. And the orchestral arrangement is by Alec Lacamoire, the person who did uh, the arrangements for Hamilton on Broadway, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. It's like somewhere between James Bond and cartoon music and whatever. The keys change, the tempos change, the grooves change, 50 plus piece orchestra, and I need to distill it for seven voices to work live. You know, one of which is vocal percussion. So (laughs) these arrangements are incredibly, they're just insane and rangy and crazy and lots of different timbres. And usually someone in, and Di Capella wants to kill me or breaks down in tears, but it's all through. It's all through love. Or both. And then, yeah. And then, uh, more recently, I just did uh, the Simpsons theme, which again, you think mm. like, oh, that's that's kind of nice and quaint, except it's insane. Danny Elfman's music, and then I, I just did a um, a medley of Nightmare Before Christmas songs, and those songs are just absolutely wild. Yeah. So many accidentals things constantly changing. And this stuff is not that hard to do if you play instrumental music because you press a button and a different note comes out, right? They're mm-hmm. they're right. technically difficult, but when you put the human voice in there right. and you're jumping minor sevenths and then a ninth and then you've got to shift over to this thing and it's super fast. It's almost so fast you can't make it happen. I mean, in The Simpsons, you know, those, those yep. kind of lines, I just like flubbed it up there. But to do it really well, you have to get just the right syllables just the right flow. Anyway, uh, those would be the most challenging things of late because they're just so technically difficult to sing. So it's basically you can either have something that's complex because it's a lot of parts or something that's complex because you took a lot of parts and made it fewer parts. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Thanks, Danny. Uh, Kyle Hartman wants to know, kind of going off of that, is there any secret to writing super interesting background parts or expansive chords that are still easy to learn and sing? I have a rule about this, which is, I don't mind if something is hard, if it's worth it. I'm always thinking about the ratio of how hard is this thing to execute versus how much is the audience actually going to get out of it? That's that's really the thing. And that's because you're an arranger and a music director. You have to, you not only write the notes down, but you have to teach them to your singers. So you live on both sides of that process. And I think that's absolutely essential for anybody who's arranging out there. You can get as crazy as you want, but you should have to 
teach it <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then stand there as they sing it and be responsible for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it is in, you know, in terms of like, how do you develop that? You know, it's think of the most singable way to get something done. You know what yep. I mean? It's just like, it, it, make sure you sing it back and think about, you know, what is the path of least vocal resistance, literally just Correct. the most idiomatic way to communicate what you're trying to communicate. And, you know, Deke, to your point before about like the, the Simpsons thing, there's two different ways to go about something like that, where it's like kind of quote unquote unsingable. If you have somebody that can sing it and it's going to be really cool. This is sort of to, to speak to my rule. Like if it's going to be really cool to see that one person sing it in that context, go for it because the payoff is worth it and yeah, you've totally. got the person that can do it. If on the other hand, you don't have somebody that can pull that off and it's just going to sound like nonsense to have somebody try, then figure out what the thing that you're trying to do is actually functioning as in what yep. you're arranging. So like yep. if the thing is literally, but what it's, trying to do is giving you the sense of forward motion while a line kind of moves in a uh, kind of formation. Something you consider doing is having just one person stay on like a single note doing like a and then somebody else do the you know, blend those two things together to get that effect. It's about figuring out, you know, what are the things that people can sing most idiomatically that wind up giving you the end result that you want. That's easy to say. Yeah. So for <laughs> yeah. like Impact, for instance, their TV medley that they do is specifically the Jetsons. Right. I guess like how can you break that down a little bit? Like how do they accomplish that? Because it sounds like people go nuts for that moment. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what they what they do in that particular arrangement. I, th- I would think off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But with stuff like that, also, also in DQ, I think you can speak to this because you do this a lot in your work. Like there's a lot of like handoff stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. So like somebody yep. will do like and then somebody will fill in the opposite one and you'll have like the combined effect of that is the thing that's going on yep 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 that can definitely happen and also um i i think this question has to be broken down into studio versus live so in the studio you can you can slow down the recording process so that you can sing something slower and then speed it up without it getting fast like the chipmunks nowadays like there's a lot you can do in technology you can also sing something a hundred times and then the one time you got it is the one you're going to use you can you can fix pitch you can fix rhythm so doing things that are difficult in the studio is actually easy you can write almost anything and so long as the human voice can make those pitches you can end up making it happen. It's live where really the rubber hits the road. And the thing that I would urge you to do as as an arranger is not look for your group's lowest and highest notes and put them in there all the time. Because when you're on stage, you've got adrenaline, you've got to catch your breath, you're in the middle of an hour-long set, you know, however this stuff's playing out, you don't actually want to sing the highest and the fastest and the lowest, except in very rare instances when it's absolutely necessary. And then the key, like you said, Rob, is is preparation. So you've got issues of voice leading. You've got issues of like, if somebody's holding a note and then the chord changes around them, if the note's super dissonant, they're already there. Making sure that when you have a huge leap, you return in the other direction. Like there's a lot of stuff that you learn when you're learning 18th, 19th century four-part writing that is because it's necessary for the human voice. But if you think of the voice as a melodic instrument and you write lines that are melodic and make enough sense that they can hang on to their part, then the pieces together can hopefully align and be more difficult. But ultimately, and I know you're going to say the same thing, Rob, 
the point of music is not to be difficult. The point of music is to convey something powerful yep. to the audience. So as an arranger, I urge you to not be aiming for the most difficult thing you can go for. Don't try to show off as an arranger. Instead, make your group show off by, by creating a really powerful, impactful moment for the audience, which sometimes means pushing their limitations. But yep. it's never about complexity any more than like, oh, this novel's really good because it has a lot of five-syllable words in it. It has all the best words. Uh, <laughs> TV, man, woman, duck. Deke, that reminds me a lot of your anecdote. I think it's about the star-spangled banner of when you were in the house, jacks and uh, you had that singer who was hitting that really high note kind of effortlessly, right. and it wasn't giving you that same impact, and then right. when he took a, a, a sec to really build up to it emotionally, that's when people were kind of on their feet cheering for it. That's exactly right. Yeah, you, you, if you you make things seem more difficult. You bring the audience with you in the experience of it being difficult. And if that feels like it's cheating, it's not. That's showmanship. That's mm-hmm. what every great performer does all the time. They wouldn't go for the high note if they didn't know they could hit it. So in the same way that a magician's not like, watch me pull this rabbit out. Oh, I don't know if it's going to work tonight. Like, of course they know it's going to work. Penny right. Teller not messing around. You know, the definition of magic is, right, a technology or something that is is beyond our comprehension. And in a lot of cases, the thing that makes music so powerful when Celine Dion goes for that high note in, in Titanic, she knows she's going to get there. You know she's going to get there. But she does it in a way that really sets it up. And then you have this great sense of accomplishment when she hits it. So yeah. uh, that's a lot of the game as well. Has there ever been a moment in the answer can be no for either of you where someone maybe after a, a show or after a song was released came up to you and was like, oh my God, this one part completely slayed me. And you were like, hey, 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 that was like a magic trick. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I felt that way often just when people come up even if it wasn't something that was particularly impressive, just As like, I'm saying, like, what was that thing that wasn't like actually well, impressive? Honestly, but, I mean, like, was I think impressed the audience. Tom Anderson said it well once. People love triads. Like, I mean, sometimes oh, it's yeah. just like just really nailing a triad can be a really magical thing, you know, in the, in the right context and done yeah, and, the, it, and done the right way. And in fact, sometimes I get compliments for something that I've done, and I don't even think it's necessarily that different or special or whatever. Most recently, yeah. and this is telling tales out of school a little bit, but um, when we we got an opportunity to do something with the Barden Bellas, it was a lot of discussion of what should the song be, and the Bellas seemed really excited about doing Love on Top, which is problematic in for a couple of different reasons. And and Ed and Alana and I, who arranged this together, pointed out like, hey guess what? The song is impossibly high when we get around to the high parts. So I I said, basically, the only way we're going to be able to do this is if the choruses are a, a trio, no one person has to like do the whole thing up high, right. but rather you can put someone like Kelly Jekyll, who doesn't get a lot of screen time or, or credit for being the incredible commando singer she is. Um, you know, she was on the sing-off of two seasons and she came out of SoCal Vocals and uh, she's just She's wonderful. She's up on top, and it's nice because uh, Anna Kendrick gives her a shout out during during the, the the tune. But so for the choruses, I wrote a parallel triad thing where there'd be three different bellas singing at each time, and basically three people are going to end up getting credit and carry the weight for each other. And then as the song moves up and moves up, they can still be there for each other and support right. each other through this thing. And so many people have said, "Oh, what a joyful moment!" And this arrangement is so great. And I mean, I thought the whole time like the arrangement was very standard and just kind of nice. And and yeah. I I don't think Edorolana either think that it's like this groundbreaking thing. And yet if it brought people joy in this difficult time, 
then that's the thing that matters the most. And this goes to the previous question about, about doing things that are difficult, that are complex. No, it was like, what, what's going to be right? I want to make the Bellas right. look and sound good in the song that mm-hmm. really, they could be set up nine times out of 10 to fail. And frankly, they had to do it themselves in their own living rooms recording themselves. So, you know, we gave them pointers and I talked people through it and whatever, but it had to be kind of foolproof because they're recording themselves. I couldn't be there with them to teach it to them in person. I couldn't be there with them to hold their hand in the the recording studio. Um, And it all came together. So that was the right arrangement for that moment, even though of all the arrangements I've done over the past couple of years, that's not the one that I would be like, yeah, I'm hanging my hat on this puppy, you know? I mean, the, the dirty truth about a lot of this, I think, is that like, unless you have the experience or the training to be able to relate to what's being done, the average person doesn't necessarily like have a frame of reference to like be impressed by certain things that arrangers are going to think are impressive. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, right. I think it was the R.I.P. Casa uh, Welcome uh, Acapella now, now. now. Uh, yeah. that the whole Glee thread about how Glee is like very unimpressive and yes, to like maybe a trained singer, it's possible that Glee, the music may have been unimpressive in the sense that it wasn't live, that it was studio. Yeah. But for, for sure, me as as a viewer, it did not bug me for one second as yeah. just kind of a general I, audience member. I think of yeah. actually, Deke, I think of, um, I saw you perform with the House Jacks once at somewhere in New York. I forget where it was. I saw you perform sometime in New York where you, you had, sure. um, Jake was still in the group and you did some tune where the whole baseline was him buzzing stuff. It was just lip buzz yep. for the whole thing. Yep, yep, yep. And I was watching that and I, and, and I was thinking to myself, like anybody, I came with my cousin who's not, was not an acapella person at all. And I was like, to my cousin, this just sounds like a baseline. This just sounds like a, you know, it's a cool baseline she doesn't have the frame of reference to understand how hard what he's doing is. Right. So we're, you know, we both appreciate the song. We both have a cool experience of it, but like, unless you have the frame of reference to know like, Oh, that's really hard. You don't necessarily even have the same reference of appreciation for the complexity because mm-hmm. you just oh, don't totally. really know what's happening. Right. Yeah. And also if you, totally look at, fine. <laughs> if you look at Ed Sheeran's music, I mean, the guy's a great songwriter right out of the gate, you know, a team like beautiful lyrics, incredibly poignant moment. Um, but he's written so many songs that now the process of songwriting for him is much more effortless. And I believe he wrote shape of you in like a half an hour. And they just mm-hmm. went in the studio and knocked it out, and that's his biggest song. Like I think that has right. been more successful than anything else he's ever done. And and so I think he was as, I think he was writing that for Rihanna too. He was trying to write a song for Rihanna. Right. And, and, but but my point is that once you've done something enough and you have a level of fluency with it, the choices and your understanding of the medium of of the things that work are much more important than it being difficult. Right. Because it, you're making it right. That's yeah. the key. So yeah. that's 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 what I would say. Make it right. Don't make it hard. Boom. Boom. Thanks, Kyle, for that great question. Ian Simmons, hi Ian, wants hi, Ian. to know Yo. what are the greatest challenges and rewards of founding and facilitating professional level acapella camps? Well, the greatest re- the greatest reward is easy. It's just seeing people come through the program and do great things and meet yeah. each other and have an amazing experience. I think I think we can both say that. You know, no just, question. The community that's created around you know both of our camps is amazing and just really unites people and gets people to know one another and collaborate and just creates this this really amazing community. But the challenges, oh boy. I mean, logistically, it's hard. <laughs> it's real hard. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's enormously expensive and complicated. Yeah. And there's all kinds of stuff you have to deal with, like 
state requirements and insurance yep. and registrations and lions. parents Bears. who are worried <laughs> that their kids not, I mean, there's just like so much stuff going on. And then like, wait, was this person in the dorm? Like, uh, or right. this person's got the sniffle. Like you're just constantly dealing with stuff that has nothing to do with acapella, but yeah. you do it because it's the only way you can get all these people together and hopefully change people's lives. And, yeah. and, and uh, the great thing about Academy and Camp Acapella, which are kind of two different levels, I, I like to talk to, to Ben and, and Avi and, and Rob about the fact that Acapella Academy is really like your elite Ivy League private institution where you're taking these fantastic students and you're moving them up to the highest levels. Whereas Camp Acapella is no auditions. Literally anybody in the world can walk in the door and we work with them and we create great experiences for them, knowing that many of them were never going to go on to music uh, as a career. But the point is to hopefully instill in them a lifelong love of music. And some of our campers have gone on to Academy afterwards uh, and, and moved through this. So it's, it's like there are two different missions in part. And, and some of the people that have been in both of our camps have, have gone on to, to professional careers. But I'd say the thing that's most joyful for me is to share the love of and the experience of the community and the power of harmony with anyone and everyone, starting middle school age all the way up to people who are in their 70s and 80s, mm. you know, senior citizens who have retired, and having that showcase at the end where everybody's got their own wireless microphone and there's lights mm-hmm. and there's choreo, mm-hmm. and it's this incredibly powerful experience, the showcase. It's like baseball fantasy camp, and people are hitting home runs all over the place. Yeah, and there's just something amazing, too, about being able to do it in, in an environment that's removed from real life a little bit. You know, just like having that time to focus on it and just enjoy that thing and without any distractions, I think is is just a really unique, cool thing that that I love every year. Kind of jumping off of that, Sophia Perolonia wants to know, what are the auditioning and group forming processes like for Academy? So I'll speak to the group forming process a little bit because it actually, Deke, you can speak to this too. We, when we started Academy, one of the big things that we were focused on because we were coming out of the experience of the sing-off was making sure that all of the groups at Academy had a really clear feel. That you could really mm-hmm. differentiate all of the different groups. So that was a big part of sort of the the mission statement or the, you know, how, how we went about forming those groups and how we go about forming those groups each year is, is the same way that we did it on the sing-off of really thinking about what are people's talents? How are those talents differentiated from one another? And then when you put that together into a show, you know, what's the identity of each group so that it really creates... Uh, just a, a more of a show experience when people see our showcase and, and, you know, when they see our videos later, it's not just like, oh, it's a bunch of acapella performances, but, oh, it's this group. Then they do this style of music and it's got right. this vibe to it. That's beautiful. Um, and that was, and that was something that we really took from our experience, um, all, all three of us on the sing-off. I'm glad you do that. And it's, and it definitely shows in the videos that you guys put together. The, the, the end materials from Academy are just absolutely stunning. And, and to, to, it's, it, it's, it's not just that you're starting with so much talent, but you're really realizing that talent and creating something special, which is great. For Camp Acapella, because we've got anyone and everyone coming in at all different levels from all around the world, we've got a different job and task, which is to create ensembles that will work. You know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's something different from having the creme de la creme or like 
pulling up to a bus stop and saying, hey, everybody get in the van and then turning them into an acapella group. <laughs> so, uh, we, but we're very careful. We like to make sure that, uh, first of all, the, the often the people who are directing the group are also the arrangers and they arrange for those specific voices and the people that are in their groups and they get to know who they are in advance. We also like to pair people up. So you've got someone who's stronger on each part. So if you've got soprano two, you could have someone who's more experienced or someone who's less experienced. And we also kind of make sure that we've got groups at different levels for each age group so that people who come who are at an acapella academy level who come to camp acapella are able to sing really kick-ass complex music but then other people who are at a, at a more basic level they're going to still also be really successful with something that's maybe not as complex but of course as we talked about complexity is not the point of music and we build everything around each person so that the experience for them is custom tailored to whatever level they're at and so yeah, you end great. up getting a really wide range of abilities and also something that people might not realize is we have an entire music educator track at Camp Acapella and, and educators come and they get credit hours and all that and they get paired with a professional director so um, you'll have someone who's who's like Kari Francis who's an experienced arranger and director working out of New York at a, at a university level who also has uh, a high school acapella educator who's ghosting her and is kind of the second in command for their group and the two of them will work together and kind of tag team to bring out the best and the great thing is and, and I know you guys have the, the kind of paired system as well of directors so that you can spend a lot more time working with the person who needs the most help and at the same time you're moving the whole group forward and it's it's uh, it's a really efficient and effective way to make great music with a bunch of people who just met each other and totally. in the case of Camp Acapella it's only six days long and the first day is registration the last day is a half day and you've got concerts and you're out so you got four full days to yeah. take people <laughs> across the line and they don't get their music in advance right so they're yeah it's a lot but it's yeah. super, super rewarding. Our final question to wrap this all up comes from at ActedRec38, a.k.a. Phoenix Flying on Twitter. They want to know basically all there is to know about the sing-off, what a typical rehearsal day was like, performance, filming day, how many hours, how much sleep did the contestants get each night? Uh, anything to say ha, about that well, one? Let's, well, let's speak to the sleep uh, the sleep question. Not much. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you a sense much. of the sleep. Uh, when, when I was doing season one and it was just me, when uh, I needed to have an arrangement of still haven't found what I'm looking for for the big finale, I wasn't done mixing the previous show's audio until like one or so in the morning. And then I got back to the hotel and I was like, oh, I need a, an arrangement for tomorrow's rehearsal at 9.30 a.m. <laughs> so I just stayed up all night and arranged it. And it's I, it doesn't necessarily take me that many hours to arrange a piece of music, but it's like I was in a foxhole in the Ardennes in World War II during Battle yeah, of the Bulge. I mean, like you're just totally, totally. Yeah. You're like, yeah. you're like, is this a, tri- is this a triad? I don't know if this chord has a third. In it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the third of a C major triad? I, I know this. I studied this. You know, I mean, like your brain starts to shut down, yeah, so everything goes melting. slower. And Love in it. the end, it all came out great, and I'm really happy with it all. But in the end, there were there were all nighters. It was crazy. And uh, Rob and I have talked about how uh, early on these groups come in firing all cylinders and they're super excited and they're they're doing their own arrange, arrangements and they're like, no, 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 we've got this. We have incredible <laughs> amounts of talent in our group. By like week three or week four, they're like, I can't pronounce my name. Please <laughs> arrange for us. But I think, I, I think, Rob, we should save this for its own episode, right? I think so I mean, too. Yeah, we, we can talk, we could talk for six hours about this by itself. So I think we should totally. do a separate episode all about the sing-off. Uh, absolutely. But bottom line, there was no sleep. I don't think I've slept since the sing-off actually. Yeah. 
And when you do, it's just nightmares about the singer. It's just nightmares about the singer. <laughs> but we'll share those nightmares with you on another episode. Okay. Yes, we will. Yes, we awesome. will. Good well, times. Thank you, everyone, for uh, submitting your questions. Yeah, thank it you. was a yes. delight. Uh, well, I didn't really do any answering, but it was a delight listening to the answers. Just uh, <laughs> you read the answers perfect. You read, uh, oh, the, you read oh, the questions perfectly. Oh, thank you so much. I, I <laughs> yeah, truly well appreciate done. it. For any of you out there who have more burning questions, thoughts, desires, amusements to share, uh, please feel free to hit us up on our Facebook, on our Twitter. We're at, at CounterPTPod. This has been so fun. I learned so much today. Uh, and Yay. it would be so great to be able to answer more questions from you guys. Totally. Oh, yeah, we'll do Thanks, it y'all. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks.